Well, good morning. Thanks for again for joining us. My name is Jared. I'm director of student ministry here and one of the teaching pastors here at Journey. And I'm so glad you've decided to join us today because we're just talking about a topic over the next few weeks that I don't think anybody can disagree with. And it's about helping the next generation win that we need to be investing in and helping those who are coming behind us be ready for what they're going to face in their life and the challenges they're going to face and, and to prepare. I'm, I'm super passionate about this. Uh, I'll tell you more about why in a minute. But if you missed last week, that's okay. We're going to catch up together on where we were and where we're going today and so you won't feel left out at all. But if you have a friend maybe that... Uh, would you think would like to hear this or needs to hear this, or if you want to go back and watch part one or any part in this series as we go forward, you can go to this website, nextgenwinseries.com. Uh, you can catch up there, the audio, the video, and even some discussion questions in case you want to sit down maybe with some friends or some family and talk through some of the things and just dig in just a little bit. You can do that. So let me just tell you why I'm so passionate about the series. One is, like I mentioned, we're all on the same page in this. Nobody disagrees. Nobody wants to see the next generations, the generations behind us fail. Nobody's hoping that the next generation of people just doesn't do well. Uh, everybody wants to see the people behind them even do better than we were able to do. And so as we talk through the series, I want you to know, last week we laid the groundwork around this one big idea that I want everybody to be thinking about as well today again, that we're going to kind of encapsulate everything we talk about today in this one big idea. It's this, that their standard for living is much more important than their standard of living. As we think about investing in the next generation, we often think about standard of living issues. We think about their wealth, we think about their opportunities, we think about their education, we think about what careers they're going to have. We think about the preparing that side of things so that they can get a handle on life in those areas. But very, very seldom do we have an intentional plan or, or give any thought to giving the next generation a standard for living. Like, how do we help cast on to them this idea that there's some wisdom to be had and that there are decisions we make and there's a character to build inside of you that is actually going to help and also going to get you through the tough times and the obstacles and challenges to get you toward the standard of living. The standard for living, having a great basis for why you live your life and the things that should, should inform all of your decisions going forward, that those things are just important. But oftentimes, we don't spend our money on that. Our government and our, and, and our energies in terms of what we want to do is often based in just the education world and things that we can throw at them in terms of opportunity. But what is it that we're giving the next generation in terms of their standard for living. So here's what I'm impressed upon you today. We talked about this last week, but let me remind you, I am not talking just to parents or grandparents today. This is not a series that you can uh, get away from. If you are here and you're a high school student, if you're a middle school student, if you're a college student, if you don't have kids, you're not married yet, this is still for you. If you work anywhere where people younger than you are around you all the time, this is for you. If you're out in the community doing things with Rotary Club or with Needline or with different organizations and there are younger people than you doing that thing with you, then you have this responsibility. We all have a responsibility to look at those coming behind us and invest and invest well. And so my, my job hopefully today is to help you prepare for what you already know you probably should be doing that oftentimes you're not sure how to do it. And so today I'm going to address an issue that's so, so very frustrating for us so many times. And we're just not sure how to get past this piece. And it's this. Our job is to prepare them for the path, not the path for them. And that's a little confusing. So let me, let me do a little bit of explanation. Our job is to prepare the next generation, whoever that is for you. 
If you are in your 60s, it's maybe people in 40s and 50s behind you. If, if you're in your 40s and 50s, it's the 20s and 30s. If, if you're in your 20s and 30s, it's those teenagers and maybe those young kids that you are investing in. But what, whoever it is behind you that you're investing in, your job is to prepare that person, those people, not the path for them. In other words, our job is not just to make things easier for them just so they can make it easier for them. Our job is to make sure they know how to make great decisions. Our, our job is to make sure they have the interior character to make great decisions in the face of pressure around them. To make deals that are based on honesty and authenticity rather than just the almighty dollar. The, the, the idea that behind uh, the standard for marriage that you should have trust and intimacy, not be hiding things away from the people that you love the most. All these things, these standard for living issues. We need to prepare those people not just the path in front of them. So I, I know this is confusing, so let me give you some examples that you can kind of hang on to that will maybe make this more concrete for you. So uh, my dad is an amazing dad, okay? So uh, he, he's obviously been there for me my entire life. Uh, he has prepared me very well in lots of areas, but there's one area where dad uh, basically prepared the way for me rather than preparing me for the path I would take. So when I was growing up, my dad was building a house. And my mom would often say, you need to go down there in the garage and help your dad out and maybe you can learn something. That's not how she sounds, it's just how I hear her in my head. So she would, she would send me down to the garage and I'm, guys, I am not a mechanically inclined person. I, I don't pick up things like math very quickly and mechanics and how things work together and fit together and building something. It just doesn't work for me. But I, I watched my dad and he would do these things and he would you know, be, be building stairs. And he would be doing these complex, to me, complex mathematical deals where he would be trying to figure out rise and run and how many steps to put, and this is how long the staircase needs to be, so this is what we're going to do. And he'd be doing all this, and he'd be trying to talk out loud, and I didn't understand a word of it. And then he'd be like, don't worry, i got it figured out. And he would start cutting, he would do, and he'd be like, yeah, thanks for your help. And I would come back to mom and be like, I don't understand. And she'd be like, you need to get more involved. And she'd tell my dad, you need to help him, he needs to understand. Again, I don't know why I'm talking that way there. That's just the way it sounds. And then he would, he would try his best, but honestly, here's, here's the deal. He, he thought it would just be easier if he just did it. Let's just be honest. He worked all day, and he'd come home to work on this house, and he didn't need a 13, 14-year-old boy slowing him down. Like he had to finish the stairs in order to make sure the next piece could get ready for the house being built and so we could move in on time and everything, everybody would be happy. So for him, he was like, you know, it's just easier if I just go ahead and do it for him. And he, he didn't really worry about training me so much. So a few years ago, my wife and I, when we decided to build a house, I have this, this grand idea in my head that there's a lot of things I'm going to do my own. And I decided I'm going to do the, the siding of my house on my own. And I just, I'm, of course, I tell my dad, Dad, I need your help. Maybe you can help me learn how to do it. And we do the siding together. And then he gets this bright idea. He said, hey, why don't we do the plumbing together? I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to learn so much. Like, I'm going to learn how to do plumbing. This is going to be cool. Like, PVC just makes no sense to me, but this is going to be great. So we, we, I would be like, here's the plan, Dad. We'll know what pieces we want to do each day. I'll come home from work. We'll work for a few hours. We'll just get what we've done, get what we can. We'll pick up tomorrow when I get home from work. So this plan started, and my dad, I'd come home after work and be like, hey, Dad, where are we going to start today? He's like, well, I finished up today's project. Uh, uh, I couldn't wait till you got home. I just got so antsy. I get, he would finish every... I, guys, I literally never stuck one piece of pipe together. He did not... He, he continues to this day, and oftentimes, and, and, because he knows this is a weakness, just to do it for me. Like, rather than prepare me, he just prepares the path. Here, I'll, be, I'll build it, make sure it's good for you. I'll, I'll build a bookcase for you. You don't have to worry about it, right? All this stuff. On the flip side of that, though, I was training to be a teacher. 
Because I taught English in the classroom for 14 years, and I was an English teacher for 9th through 12th graders. And I remember being in my student teaching. They kind of have this thing where before you go and be a real teacher and try to get a job, they give you one semester underneath a supervising teacher to spend a whole semester practicing all the things that were required in teaching. And one of the things I remember being just so scared about is like I could figure out like what assignments to do and, and even fun activities that would make kids pay attention. I could do all that pretty, pretty well. But I remember just being scared to death about standing in front of the whole room of 30 teenagers. And as you guys know, one, um, you can ask 30 teenagers to do something, but you literally can't make them do anything, right? You guys know, if you've ever stood in, a, in, a, in front of a group of, of teenagers, you, the real fear is that you will say something and then they will all be like, I ain't got to do that. And the real truth is they don't. And that's what's scary. So you stand in front of this classroom, and I remember my supervisor sitting in the back of the room for the first couple of weeks I'm teaching, and she was like, you're doing such a great job, a job engaging the kids, but I, I, I got to tell you, I got to leave. What? Next week, I'm not going to be in the room when you teach because you need to figure out something on your own. What is that? How to handle these kids? Because they're all, they're all behaving because when you turn your back to the, to the wall and write something on there, they're all doing crazy stuff until they see me looking at them. So I need you to know that it's going to be chaos for you next week. Don't leave. Right? Don't, don't leave. Don't leave. If you know that's going to happen, why are you leaving me? Here's what she knew that I didn't. She was preparing me for the time when I would have a classroom of my own and she would not be there. She was preparing me, not preparing the path for me. Now, she gave me some great tools and she gave some great advice, but basically she had to at some point leave it with me for me to either succeed or fail. And guys, here's, the, here's what you don't know about the situation. My first day of student teaching, I happened to show up early I was in the classroom by myself. She had left to go make some copies. A kid came in and sat on the front row, put his head on the desk, and about two minutes later, a whole group of students came in and one of them tackled him out of the desk and began pummeling him right in front of me, and I'm the only one in the room. A mess had already been made, guys, and she was willing to leave me and risk that happening again, right? So I, got, I, I want you to know, this wasn't easy for her to do either, but in that moment, I knew... I've got to figure out how to do this on my own. So listen, the idea behind this bottom line today is this. Our job is to prepare them for whatever path they're going to be on because oftentimes we don't even know what the next generation is going to face, what challenges and obstacles they will face. We cannot see our own future. What makes us think we can see theirs? But here's what I'm saying. We have learned some things, some character issues, some ways to handle the emotional stress that happens in life. We've learned some things about our life that we need to be passing on and preparing them for so that when they hit the path, they're ready for it. So this is a huge, this is a huge responsibility. I know it's kind of scary because you think about this, and it's, it's kind of scary to think about leaving whoever it is behind you with this big responsibility and, and risking them doing it because we want to make excuses. We want to be like my dad was and be like, it's just easier to do it ourselves. Like you as a manager, you may be at your workplace and thinking, you know what, it would be, it'd just be easier for me to go ahead and do all these tasks for these employees because it would take me weeks and weeks and weeks to train them to do it correctly. And I don't even know if they really have the drive to do it correctly. And so my, I'll just keep on doing these things and not hand that off to them. Or we might just say, I hate to see people that I love go through pain. So I don't want to ever give them anything that might cause them pain. So I'm going to make sure and protect and make sure put everything in their path that they need and make sure everything's perfect. And I may even make some excuses for them so that everything looks good on their side and I don't have to worry about them going through any of that pain. So wherever you're at this morning, I want you to know this is a real problem for all of us. But luckily, we have a great example from somebody 
that I think is going to help us rethink the way we think about preparing the next generation, whoever that is for you. So I want to, I want to look at a guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. He's, uh, he's pretty famous for having died and risen again. And you may not believe that this morning, but that's okay. The lessons you're going to learn from him are just as applicable to you as they are to people who believe that he died and rose again, okay? So I want you to know that the application of this is not require you to believe that Jesus was who he says he is, although I think it would help. But here's the deal. Jesus was a master at preparing the disciples, the people he called his followers, the people who were with him in the entire ministry while he was on earth. He did a great job of preparing them for their next step when he was going to be gone. In fact, we're going to look at a specific example of a guy named Peter. Now, Peter is a guy that was really known as kind of like the leader once Jesus left. He was, Peter was kind of seen as the leader of the disciples once he was gone. And so here's Peter, this guy who we see and look up to and people are named after him. But here's the thing, he wasn't even called Peter when Jesus met him. His name was Simon. And Simon gets introduced to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. Andrew brings Simon in and says, Simon, you've got to see this guy, Jesus. He's pretty amazing. He's teaching all this really neat stuff, and I think you need to sit down and listen to him. And Simon's like, okay, fine. He comes to meet Jesus, and face to face, Jesus looks at him, and the first time he meets him, he's like, Simon, huh? You know what? Your name, new name's going to be Peter. I'm going to call you Simon Peter, because you are a rock, man. That's what Peter means. It means rock. And so from the very beginning, Peter kind of gets this kind of weird sense from Jesus, like, I'm the rock. Why am I called the rock? But the thing about Peter, I think that throughout the entire time, you, the stories you read about Peter, he's always trying to live up to that nickname that Jesus gives him. Because Peter was the guy who did things and said things that none of the other disciples would do because they were scared to death to do them. Like, Peter's the one that when they were out in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it was rocky and there was thunderstorms and waves were crying and they see something out in the water and they realize, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. He's walking on water. And Peter's the guy who's like, huh, I'll go walk with him. And he steps out of the boat and he walks on water for a little bit until he gets scared, right? But Peter was the one that did that. And Peter was the guy who also stepped up when they're having a conversation. Jesus said, who do, who do you think I am? And everybody's like, well, some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Peter goes, well, I think you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, yes. How did, wow, Peter, you really are the rock, man. You have faith like a rock. That's amazing. Peter was the guy that was willing to do things when others weren't. So this is, the, this is kind of the personality of Peter. And Jesus knows from the very beginning, as he starts investing in Peter and these other disciples, that one day he will leave and they'll be left behind. In fact, his mission for them was huge. He said, hey, when I'm gone, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and then Samaria, the kind of area surrounding Jerusalem and, and Judea, and then I want you to go to the, all the ends of the earth to tell people about me. Now, if that's not big enough, he also lays down the way to do that, and that's what we're about to see. We're about to see kind of this challenge that Jesus gives Peter and Peter's response. So I want, I want to kind of catch you up. We're kind of in, into the end of Jesus' ministry. He, he knows that he, the end of his life is coming. He, he can see it happening. Everything's going on just as he, he can see it happening. And so Peter, in this conversation, here's, here's how he responds. So let's like look at this first verse. John 13, says, Dear children, talking to all his disciples, I'll be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now... I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world 
that you are my disciples. So here's Jesus at the end of his, his ministry. He knows he's going to be leaving soon, and he leaves them with this one huge standard for how they're supposed to live out this mission he's given them, right? Here's how you do it, guys. You love people like you love me. Isn't that a great standard? Even if you're not sure you believe in Jesus and who he says he was, isn't this a great standard for living? A great way to pass on to the next generation. This is how you do it. Number one, you love people like I loved you. You, you do the same thing for other people and the next generations that are coming behind you. you. You treat them with as much respect and love and care as I have cared for you. That's how you do this great mission. What a huge responsibility, right? So in this moment, Jesus is looking at his disciples like, you can't go where I'm going. Look, I'm about to leave and go somewhere where you can't go. You're going to be left behind here by yourself. But I want you to know, this is how you do what I've asked you to do, right? This is the the huge task, the huge homework assignment they're supposed to do. And Peter, being Peter, he's just not sure. Wait, hold on, Jesus. I've got to ask a question. Hold on, let me ask this question. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. See, Jesus knows kind of the attitude which Peter's asking, and it's not kind of obvious here, but if you think about this for a minute, This is an odd response to Peter's question. Why doesn't Jesus just tell him where he's going? Because Jesus reads behind the lines. Peter's asking this question not because he really cares about where Jesus is going. Peter's scared to death to be left here without Jesus. Peter asks, where are you going? Because wherever you want to go, you're going, I want to go. Because you've been around for the last few years and you do some amazing stuff and I want to be with you, man. What you, you can do some amazing stuff with, with just five loaves and two fish. We fed 5,000 people, and I didn't believe it, and I was standing there tearing off the bread and cutting up the fish, and here it was, and you fed all these people. I want to be where you're going. And I, and I walked on some water with you, and that was pretty amazing for the little time that I had the faith to do it, and I just want to stick with you because, honestly, I don't know how long I can be the rock. If you're not here, I'm scared, Jesus. Where are you going? And Jesus looks at him and goes, look. Peter, you're going to join me later, man, but right now, you can't go. You've got your assignment. Your assignment is to be here and love people like I loved you. That's it, man. I'm sorry, you're, you can't go this next step. And Peter being Peter, right? Just, he's not sure. Like he just, he's, he's willing to ask the hard questions that ever people, everybody else probably has in their brains but is unwilling to say out loud, and Peter asks again. He just can't get it. But Why? Can't I come now? Lord, I'm ready to die for you. You don't get it, Jesus. I'm sold out, man. I'm with you to the end of my days. I'm not walking anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I want to follow you wherever. If you think you're going to run away from me, I'm just going to run faster to catch up. I am following you even to the end of my days. I'm going to die knowing I'm following you. Right? Here's this guy completely committed to following his best friend, his good friend Jesus, wherever he goes. And in this moment, Jesus does something so unexpected. Because, I know, we, we all have this idea of who Jesus is and what he was like. And I don't know, I, maybe this is just me, and because my personality is this way, I'd be wanting to be like, oh, Peter, 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 come on, man, it's okay. You're the rock, it's cool. Hey, you know what, I, I'll stay a little bit longer. I tell you what, we'll just, we'll just hang out a little bit more and I, I'll, I'll stick with you and I, just let me handle this next little miracle for you to give you a little more step up and, and I'll, just, I'll just keep walking with you because I, I just had this connection to Peter and I, I don't want to let that next generation think that I'm not with them and I don't, I don't love them and I'm not willing to help them through things. 
But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does something that just kind of rocks my world when I think about investing in the next generation. He does this. And Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Now, listen, I don't think Jesus was trying to hold this over his head like we often do to the next generation. Sometimes we look at the people coming behind us and we're like, man, you guys are so stupid, y'all don't even get it. <laughs> uh, you, guys, you guys are going to fail big time. If you just listen to me, <laughs> things will go fine, but I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think Jesus looks at Peter and goes, man, listen, you can't go with me. And honestly, the truth is, you're not even ready to go with me yet. In fact, the next few hours of your life are going to be some of the toughest you've ever had to face. I've been trying to get you ready for this moment, and I've got to let you face it, whether you succeed or fail. And I'm pretty sure you're not ready. Wow, Jesus. Thanks for the honesty. Feels real good to be Peter right now, doesn't it? Looking at Peter like, dude, you're not ready to die for me. You're not ready. And here we are. We think about investing in the next generation of people. And so often, we're not willing to look at them and let them face the truth of where they stand. For one, we're not preparing them for that truthful moment. Because we've been doing everything for them and doing it with them, and we never let them release to be something that they could be. Because we're too busy making sure everything's just right for them. If you're an employer and you have a set of employees, listen, there are decisions you make in a vacuum that you have a whole set of things going through your head on why you're making the decision. And nobody else in the whole workplace, even the closest people, closest managers to you, don't know why you're making the decisions you make. And you go through this whole process and it's all behind the scenes and you make a decision and you do some things that, you know what? You deprive your managers and your employees of owning what it is you're doing in a new way because you never give them the responsibility to make any decisions themselves because you're unwilling to watch them fail. And so you continue to do things for them rather than preparing them for the day when you may retire or move to another job or quit. And here's all these people that you could have been preparing with the thinking processes and the wisdom that you've gained, but instead you just keep doing it for them because you figure, hey, I'll be around for a little while longer, but you won't be there forever. And so parents, you know what you do sometimes with your kids? You're willing to make sure they know what they're supposed to do, but you never give them the chance to make a decision and then fail while they're still at home. You never, you never give your teenagers a chance to have real responsibility with real things without your guidance there to help them when they do fail. Because a lot of parents are one of two ways. One, they're so controlling that they never give their children any responsibility and they do everything for them so that when they become adults, they're, they're stagnated and scared. Or they're like, hey, you're 14, you're on your own, buddy. Go earn your own gas money. I'll help you out some other time. And they just completely, with no advice at all, no help and no, no encouragement, just go and do it. Those are both two extremes to the wrong thing. Jesus doesn't do that. And you're like, wait, but they look, it looks like Jesus is leaving Peter out to dry. I know this looked like, but listen. Jesus knew what the plan was and the big picture. Now, Peter didn't. Peter didn't quite grasp it yet. Peter knew all the facts that, was going, that were going on, that Jesus was going to somehow have to leave us and people were going to kill him. I, he keeps saying he's going he's to be killed. I don't understand all that. 
But Jesus had a larger picture in mind. He didn't just leave Peter here to just kind of waste away. He had prepared Peter for this moment as best he could, and then he said, Peter, it's yours. You've got to make a decision now. And so let me tell you what happens in the next few hours of Peter's life. They have, the, they have a, the Last Supper together, and Jesus sits down with all his disciples and tells them, here's the real deal, here's what's going on. This is my body, this is my blood, I'm going to die for you. And they don't understand that, They're like, die for us? What do you mean you're going to die for us? And then he says, Peter, John, other disciple, why don't you guys come pray with me in the garden? I, I'm just really torn about having to die, and it's, it's really helpful if you guys would come pray with me. And Peter goes, goes to try and pray, and he can't even stay awake. Jesus keeps coming back and like, Peter, can't you, can't you stay awake to pray with me for just a couple of hours, man? This is, this is the end of my life we're talking about. And Peter's like, I know, I know, I'm just so sleepy and so tired. And then Judas, the guy that has gone off to betray Jesus, has brought the Roman soldiers to the garden. And here they come, they're going to arrest him. And Judas gives him the kiss and they start to clamp the locks on Jesus' hands. And Peter pulls out his sword and said, no, not my friend. And he hacks away at this guy and he chops his ear off. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, Peter? Put your sword away. I said, love them like I loved you. That doesn't show love, man. And he picks up the ear and puts it back on the guy. And here's Peter like, wait, I thought I had, I was, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. This is all a test. And so Peter feels like he, he failed twice already. And then go in and follow Jesus, and, and Peter's the only one. Peter's like, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So he follows secretly. And he follows Jesus. Jesus is going to this place to be questioned by the high priest and the priests. And they're, they're in there flogging him and beating him and smacking him around. And, Jesus, and Peter is outside in the courtyard. And he doesn't know what's going on in there, but he's trying to stay close enough to figure out what's going on. And then people around the fire as they're sitting there at night are like, hey, you look familiar. You look like a guy that follows that guy they're questioning there. And Peter's like, no, man, not me, man, not me. And somebody goes, no, wait, your, your accent. You're from Galilee, aren't you? Yeah, you're one of Jesus' followers. No, not me. I'm telling you, it's not me. And then another person comes up and says, no, I'm for sure, man. I've seen you before, man. I've seen you with Jesus. And Peter goes, curse word, curse word, it wasn't me. And then the rooster crows. And the story goes that Peter went and cried bitterly. Now listen, the last thing you do before your best friend gets killed on a cross is to deny him three times and also not be able to pray with him and then chop a guy's ear off and be reprimanded. That's your memory. And as Jesus is dead for three days, you keep going, man, I messed this up. I am, I am terrible at being a follower of Jesus right now. I have, I've, I've betrayed my friend. I just didn't get this right. But the bigger picture, Jesus rises again. And Peter's with a group of disciples, and Jesus shows up, and he says, Guys, I'm here. I'm alive. This is what I was talking about. That I would have to go somewhere, and, but I'm back, and I'm not going to be here much longer, but I'm here to remind you of your mission and what we came to do, and just to keep loving people like I, I love you, and that, that's what I'm going to leave. I'm only here for a little short while with you, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to be with you, and Peter sees him, but he can't, he can't get him alone to talk to him. Can you imagine, can you imagine feeling that moment where you just want, I, just want, I need to hash this out with Jesus. I need, to, I need to say I'm sorry. I need to figure out where he's at. I, I just, he's talking to the whole group, and they see him again as a group. He shows up to, to, to make sure Thomas, Thomas didn't believe anything, and Jesus is like, here, touch me. No, I'm real. Touch the scars in my hand. Just, I'm, real, I'm a real person. Let me eat with you guys. And he does that, and Peter's like, man, I just wish I'd get my chance. I wish I'd get my chance. And Jesus, the whole time, has this big thing planned for Peter. And here, I want to pick up the story in John chapter 21, where Peter and the disciples, they, 
They've seen Jesus a couple times, but honestly, they're just still like in shock. They don't know what to do. This guy's alive. He was dead. He's alive. I don't, I don't understand how this works. And what are we supposed to do? And so Simon Peter says this, I'm going fishing. <laughs> what do fishermen do, man, when they get stressed out? They go fishing. We'll, we'll come too, the other guys say. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Dude, I, I'm, a, I'm even a failure as a fisherman. Like, I can't even follow Jesus and I can't even fish anymore. Like, I, I didn't, I'm just worth nothing. Look at this next part. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was, and he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work and jumped in the water and headed to shore. Like, Peter's the guy. Nobody else jumped out of the water and left the fish. Peter jumped out of the water. And he's like, this is my chance. <sighs> Jesus is here. Maybe I get to talk to him alone. And when he gets there, Jesus is like, hey, calm down. I got the fish already cooking. Don't worry about that load of fish. Because there's this moment where Peter had to realize, wait, this has happened before. If you read in, in Luke, Luke's version of how Peter became a follower of Jesus when he first meets Jesus, like Jesus gives him the nickname, and then a few minutes later, Jesus is teaching the whole crowd, and Jesus steps into Peter's boat while Peter's cleaning his nets after a long night of fishing and not catching anything. And the whole deal is Jesus steps in the boat, and he finishes talking to those people, and he sits down, and he's kind of exhausted, and he tells Peter, he's like, let's go fishing. Let's get away from this crowd. And Peter's like, uh, I've been up all night fishing. I didn't catch anything. Jesus is like, trust me, man. Just cast the nets over the side. And Peter, in this moment of frustration, is like, okay, whatever you say, Mr. Preacher Man, <laughs> okay? Right? And they catch a huge load of fish that starts to break the nets. And Jesus, they pull it into shore, and Jesus says, I want to make you a fisher of men, not a fisherman. And Peter leaves this, this lifetime load of fish, like a load of fish that would have made him rich. He leaves it and follows Jesus. And you've got to know in this moment that Peter's like, wait a minute, you, you did this again. <laughs> you did it to me again. And so they have, the, they have breakfast with all the disciples once they get in. They're having a good time hanging out. And then Jesus has this conversation with Peter that totally changes the way we see Jesus and how mean he was earlier. Look what he says. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And feed my lambs, Peter. He goes on. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. What? Okay, and he asked him again. Look, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Peter was hurt. And Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus confirms to Peter, your failures don't get you out of this job. I put you in that position to test you, and yeah, you didn't get it right. There's a few things I wish you'd done differently, but your calling to be the rock, your calling to do what I ask you to do, you are still the man. I'm calling to do this. 
You feed my lambs. You feed my sheep. You keep doing what I said. You keep loving these people and telling everybody about me when I'm gone. I did all of this to prepare you for the path ahead of you because you will have to face your death someday because you believe in me. It's just not yet. But your small little failures, it's okay because I'm here with you and I believe in you and I know you're the rock. I know it, Peter. How many times as a manager have you looked at your employees, allowed them to fail at something appropriate? I'm not saying hand them the entire business decision that's going to either make or break us, but I'm saying hand them some responsibility. How many times have you done that, watched them fail and come along and said, that's okay, hey, we're going to keep moving forward. The next time you're going to make a better decision. I know you will because you're going to learn from this. And here's some things to remember for next time. How many times with your teenagers... Have you given them the, the authority to make a decision about their faith and where they're heading and a decision that really means something while they're still at home with you? Because, by the way, guys, if you don't prepare them now while they're with you, they'll make decisions without you someday, and then you're going to be wishing that you had been there to watch them fail at your house first. So give them responsibility, have them fail, and help them figure out how to make a decision next time that won't allow them to fail in that way again. There's so many things that we're not doing to prepare the next generation because we want to make it easier for them. And I don't think Jesus made it easy on the disciples as he prepared them for when he would be gone. I don't think the standard for living Jesus wanted to pass on was, hey, I'll make sure and pave the way for you. I'll make sure and make, make sure everything's ready for you and you don't have to worry about anything. You just, you just keep doing what you do. I don't think that was it. Listen, here's the challenge I want you to think through. And this is something you may have to get away and drive for a while. Maybe go to the park and walk for a little bit. But you need to think through this question. Am I preparing the path or preparing them for the path? Is what I'm doing right now with the people coming behind me, am I preparing them for the challenges they're going to have to face? Am I preparing their character and allowing them to think through wisely the decisions they're making? Or am I all the time making all the decisions for them and preparing things for them and the path is just laid out for them? They don't have to figure that out themselves. How am I doing that? Because here's what I know. The next generation, just like Peter, doesn't want to face the next step without you. They're scared. Your employees, your teenagers, your college students, teenagers, the 10 and 11-year-old sibling that you have at home, they're scared to do things without you. And you have the opportunity to prepare them. Because here's what I know. At some point, you will leave by choice or not. And will the next generation be prepared to function without you? Will they have a strong enough faith? Will they have the character to make decisions based on the right thing, not just the comfortable thing? Will they have a way to process all the wisdom that you've tried to pass on? Will they have that in them? Will they have a standard for living that will allow them to make great decisions going forward without you? And that's the huge responsibility everybody in this room has. And I know it's scary, but I know that you can do it because Jesus has been preparing you and he's trusted you with some things and watched you make mistakes and he's never left you and he's there with you 
And he's telling you, hey, I've still called you to this. I know you messed it up a little bit last week when you did this and this and this, but listen, you're still called to this. You don't get out of it just because you messed it up one time. I'm still with you, and I still believe you're the rock. I don't know what your nickname is, but I'm just saying. It could be the rock. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this example of Jesus that that we can follow. God, that that we know that investing in the next generation is one of the most important things we can do, no matter where we're at, that the people coming behind us need us. And so, God, I pray that we can invest our lives in such a way that prepares them for their next steps, whatever that looks like. And God, help us to think through this idea of just leaving them to to face some challenges alone and, and maybe even fail with us watching. And God, help us to handle that emotionally, but also help us to be prepared on the other side to encourage them and move them past their failures so that they can be a success in their next step. God, I pray that you would help us to think through how to make this applicable in life, how to make sure that those behind us get it. And God, I pray as a church that we would always be preparing the next generation in their faith. That as we produce disciples here, that they would be ready to produce the next wave of disciples in their generation, and the next generation after that, and the next generation after that. And it's your son's name we pray it. Amen.